I'm Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today, and this is Capital Download. We're in our New York City Bureau with Joel Benenson. He is the pollster and chief strategist for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've been involved in a lot of campaigns, and you know, there's this incident with Corey Lewandowski, Trump's campaign manager, where he pulled a reporter, yanked a reporter back, and it's now been charged with simple battery. The Trump people say this is part of the normal pushing and shoving that you have in a campaign. Is it? I've never seen it happen before. Um, I've been in a lot of campaigns over the last uh, 25 years or so. Um, so um, I don't know. I mean, I've seen the videotape. I, obviously, there's a process going on, and I'm sure that'll resolve itself, and, and voters and people will judge for themselves what transpired there. You know, we've seen in the Republican race that when candidates criticize Donald Trump, he pushes back really forcefully, often in very personal terms. Are you at all concerned about what's going to happen next in this if, if you end up in a race against him? You know, I, I think he does that, but I think you've got to, you know, the question should be uh, probably put to him about the fact that you've got a, a record number of Republicans within their own party who are not comfortable with him as the nominee. You're not seeing that just among the leadership. You're seeing it among the people who are voting, who are listening to him. Look, I, I know something about voters in swing states and in battleground states and those kind of swing voters, and we've talked a lot about them. Um, they typically are not just, you know, middle of the road ideologically. They're pretty modulated in their tone. And when they see people over the top on either side, I don't think it's something that appeals to them. So uh, I, I think he's got some work to do if he becomes the nominee on really trying to demonstrate to people that he's got a temperament that fits with uh, what they expect in a president, because I think so far the campaign there hasn't shown that. How different is a race against Trump versus a race against, say, Ted Cruz? Is the map different? Well, um, look, I think the map, both of them um, carry a lot of uh, reinforcement of the weakest parts of the Republican brand right now, if you will. The Republican Party is struggling with their image, being out of date on economic policies, being out of touch on where this country is on social justice, equal rights, uh, issues around education. Um, and I think the real risk for either one of them and the real challenge they're going to have is I think they're going to put more kind of a, the red-leaning purple states uh, into play for us than the other way around. So states like Arizona, for example, North Carolina, which we've won once in the last six times, but President Obama only lost it by two points last time. States like Georgia, uh, where the demographics and the population have changed in a way, and, and President Obama only lost it by seven points in 2008. Um, I think both of them put some of those states in play uh, uh, more uh, that, that would benefit us by giving us a bigger playing field and they're going to have to fight to protect some territory. Could Trump even put a state like Texas in play given the Hispanic population? Hard to say. Texas, I've, I've done some work in Texas. I think that's, you know, a little bit of a bigger climb. Um, it would uh, depend, you know, interestingly enough, his, his wallet, you know, uh, Texas is Mexico's biggest trading partner and vice versa. So, you know, economically, they've, they've done pretty well in the last uh, a decade or so, but it's largely been with exchange with Mexico. So uh, anything's possible, but, you know, we'll take a look at that when we get, uh, if we're lucky enough to be the nominee, and, and which I expect we will be. On the other side, are there, some, are there some blue states or purple states that get a little redder, maybe, more possible for Republicans to get with Trump, like a, a Michigan, maybe, or a Pennsylvania? You know, I, I don't see that. You know, if you look at states that we have won five out of six times, last six presidential elections, or six out of six, you know, those states fall into that category. And it's very hard to see how both in tone and substance uh, they are going to be able to win over 
uh, the kind of swing voters that will tilt those states one way or the other. So here's what you've said. You said Donald Trump, if he's a nominee, will have a deeply divided Republican Party. A lot of people in the establishment, leaders, also Republican voters, uh, reluctant to vote for him. He's he's antagonized big parts of the population that you need to appeal to to win uh, the presidency, like like women and Hispanics and African Americans and higher yeah. educated voters. So if it's a Clinton-Trump race, how does Clinton lose? Is it guaranteed well, that Clinton would win that race? Look, there are no guarantees in anything. I think we'd be, uh, you know, in a very formidable position, a very strong position. I think that the challenge, you know, you're asking a lot of questions about the political process. The challenge with a candidate like Donald Trump is he's not a conventional candidate. Um, and he doesn't run a conventional campaign. And he... Uh, he doesn't answer questions in conventional ways. I mean, his transcript in the New York Times was fascinating, uh, if you read through the whole thing, but it, there's not a lot of uh, substance there, but that continues to work for him with a subset of the Republican Party. All I'm saying is, you know, the real question here is whether or not he can stretch that in a general election. I'm not sure there's evidence of that yet, but the challenge there is running against an unconventional candidate who seems to you know, play by his own set of rules, be a great self-promoter, uh, uh, but he, he, I don't think he's really demonstrated yet that he's in it for people, and I think that's a big hurdle he's got to overcome. You say you have an almost insurmountable delegate yes. lead over Senator Sanders, yes. and yet he's won five of the last six contests. If he wins, if he wins Wisconsin, wins six of the last seven, isn't there some kind of warning sign there? Uh, look, I think that throughout this, he's won some states and we've won some states. So if you want to look at the totality of the picture, let's take a look at it. We've won 60% of the popular vote. We've won 17 out of 21 states where more than 7% of the eligible voters participated. We have built the most diverse coalition of the electorate of anybody. He has dominated, winning almost 3 to 1 among voters under 30. But we've won all voters over the age of 30 by almost 2 to 1. We've won women voters throughout our primaries by two to one. We've won people of color, African-Americans and Latinos, by almost three to one. We've won in battleground states that you have to win in a general election. States like Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Virginia. Uh, we won in Arizona. In fact, when you talk about how many states he won, Susan, we won more votes in the Arizona primary than he won in all three states combined. So it's not about how many states you win. We've won 60% of the popular vote so far. We have a pledge delegate lead of 230 or 235 right now, which is bigger than Barack Obama ever had against Hillary Clinton in 2008. Is Bernie Sanders' continuing challenge hurting her prospects in November or helping her? You know, we get asked this question a lot. I, I think that uh, campaigning in states, uh, you know, even during 2008, we thought, well, Hillary Clinton couldn't catch us. Of course, I was on Senator Obama's campaign that, you know, she couldn't catch us, right? But campaigning through the states uh, can have a benefit. You're organizing, you're getting voters engaged. That's always good for the process. You've got your ground troops doing the work they're doing earlier in the game. I mean, look, we're already uh, on the, the, the cusp of April here, so we're pretty deep into this. Uh, at this point, I think uh, the question that, uh, you know, matters is, does Hillary Clinton have a nearly insurmountable, virtual impossible lead in pledged delegates to be overtaken? She does. Look, Senator Sanders would have to win 58% of the pledged delegates right now. And he's only been able to do that, I think, in two states, Vermont and New Hampshire, his home state and the neighboring state. So he'd have to reverse a pattern that's, that's such a steep climb for him. It's hard to see that happening. So let's assume Hillary Clinton's the nominee. What would you like to see Bernie Sanders do in the general election for her? Would he have a role? 
Uh, look, I, I think we'd like to see uh, any any person who believes in democratic values and progressive values uh, that will help people uh, get ahead and stay ahead campaign very hard for Hillary Clinton because there's going to be a clear choice in this election. Uh, if Hillary Clinton is the nominee, which is, as you know, I've said I believe she will be, um, there's going to be a very clear choice between where Democrats and progressives stand and progressives like Hillary Clinton who like to get things done and what the Republicans all of them are proposing that would really be devastating to uh, working people who are still fighting their way back and getting ahead, getting some stability, but still know they, they want more security for their kids' future and for their futures. So, so hopefully he'd be a full-throated uh, advocate uh, for uh, Democrats. Would you want him to play the same kind of role that Hillary Clinton played for Barack Obama All that Look, that's, that, that, there's plenty of time to, to sort that out as this winds down and uh, when we get to finality. You have such a unique perspective because you were in the senior councils of Barack Obama's campaigns and now Hillary Clinton's campaigns. How different is it advising those two people? Um, you know, everybody's different. I mean, I always say, you know, I talk to my, my kids and, and my family and I go, you know, Lou Gehrig's famous speech, I feel like the luckiest man in the world. I feel like I've been the luckiest guy, you know, to be able to work for these two people. They're giants in the Democratic Party, both of them. I think they... You know, and as, as Secretary Clinton says, you know, Barack Obama is a pretty natural politician. He's got a, a certain uh, way of addressing issues that's unique to him, and it's been pretty uh, positive. Um, but I think both of them have what I call the responsibility gene. Both of them know that politics is the art of the possible, that it's not always perfect, but that to make a real difference in people's lives, you have to find ways to get things done and get the most done you can at any moment in time. Here's the last question. It, you had an interview with a marketing week last November, and here's what you said. You, you said, quote, one thing in common between politics and marketing is that your greatest strength can often be your greatest weakness if you can identify that ahead of time, how much you might be vulnerable to attack and how you have to communicate in a way that puts a shield up around it you can better protect your territory. So apply that thought to your current client, Hillary Clinton. Well, you know, I think her greatest strength, as I said, is her passion for policy, her passion to make a difference in people's lives. Um, you know, I think um, uh, she uh, sometimes puts that um, ahead of the values that she's fighting for. Uh, but. You know, when you talk about values... I don't, I don't know what that means. Well, for example, Hillary Clinton has made very clear over and over again, you know, we are at our best when we lift people up. We should be leaving no one behind. That's who we are as Americans, that at our best, we make sure that every American can live up to his or her God-given potential. I think she's been hitting that really strongly the last few months, and I think, you know, that is not always her home base, but it's always part of what she says. But she puts the whole package together in a way of linking the policies and those values. That's a forceful argument. And I think that's why she's won 60% of the popular vote in these primaries. She has put those things together. I think when we started out, you know, back a year and a half ago, um, those things might not have been knitted together as strongly as they are now. But, you know, we've been hitting our stride since people started voting, and it's paying off at the voting booth. So initially, she might have talked more about policy and not right. so much about the underlying And she really spent a lot of time thinking yeah. about it in the beginning, you know, making sure we had every policy nailed down. You remember her economic speech, go back to that, last July. She did a, a series of policy speeches last summer. That was the first place she went and she probably in hindsight was right she wanted to put those markers down because then you can use those policies to animate your values 
and use your values that you're fighting for, who you're fighting for, why you're fighting for, to animate those policies. And again, that's why she's winning 60% of the vote in these primaries, and that's why she's such a strong candidate going forward. Joe Benenson, thanks so much for joining Thank us you. on Capital Download.